Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're actually going to look in chapter 8 and chapter 9. I didn't get it printed off for myself this morning. This is part two, so I'm going to pull it up on my phone. So I promise I'm not texting or writing anybody, okay? Um, But I'm just pulling up where I've got my own notes that we can figure out where we are. You remember that um, last week we drew several lessons from Nehemiah, uh, especially chapter 8. We didn't quite get into chapter 9, but there are several things that we drew out out of chapter 8 that can help us to make sure that we're responding rightly to the Word of God. So that whenever you come into the church or whenever you sit down and you read the Word of God, no matter where it is that you hear the Word of God, when you hear it, there is a response that should always come from you. God promises that He will never send His Word out and it not accomplish what He sent it out to do. Every time. And so if you are a child of God, number one, if you are born again, and again, I I can't stress that enough, what that means is you have heard the call of God in your heart to come out of sin and out of darkness and to follow His light in Jesus Christ. And even though you are still a sinner, you are fighting that good fight of faith to keep repenting from sin, to keep confessing sin, and to keep trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that has happened in your life, then whenever you hear the Word of God, the point is for you to respond to it in some way. And we're going to get to the part in chapter 8 and 9 to where we see what some of those responses look like. But I want you to know that we drew several out of that last week. One of the first things that we saw is that The people were eager to gather together and hear the Word. In other words, this was not something... When you are... I'm just going to be straight with you, All right, Can I I be straight with you again? I know last week's message was a little tough. I want to be truthful with you. If you are in a healthy relationship with Christ, there should be a desire in you to hear from the Lord. God, I want to turn from my sin. I want to know the darkness that you are calling me out of. I want to follow you in your light in Jesus Christ. I am in the fight of faith. And the only way you stay in that fight is by hearing and believing and following the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by what? And hearing the Word of God. And so there should be within you a desire. I'm not saying that it's not a struggle. Listen, I have days where I struggle. I'm like, man, I just, I just really don't want to pick up this word and read today. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I'm not saying it's not a struggle. But I'm saying that if you are in a healthy relationship, there ought to be just like a newborn baby, and I told you this last week, you do not have to convince a newborn baby that it needs milk. If you let that baby go for just a little while without milk, he's going to let you know, right? There is a healthy desire in him for the food that he needs to, to comfort that, that hunger that he has. I need to 
There is something inside of me that knows if I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and that desire is in me, I have to be here in the Word of God. I have to be in the fellowship of God's people. I have to be learning from the other believers and their gifts and, and we need to be helping each other grow. And so no one had to... Look at chapter 8 verse 1. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring it. Bring the Word. Bring the book of the law that the Lord has commanded. And so in verse 2... The preacher don't have to try to gather a crowd together. The crowd gathers together and they go find a preacher. And they say, we need to hear from God. And this is a healthy place for you to be. And so they gather together, they come to Ezra, and Ezra brings the law before the assembly, both men and women and everybody who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, they came together. Alright, so the first thing that we learned last week is there ought to be a healthy desire in us for the Word of God. And if that is not in you, then I have one question. How much of a calling do you hear from God to come out of darkness and into the light of Christ. If you're hearing that calling, there's going to be a desire in you to hear from the Word, to hear the voice of the Lord. If that is not there, then Peter would say to you this morning, you need to make your calling and your election sure. In other words, you need to make sure that God has actually called you out of sin into His light and you need to make sure that He's chosen you to follow Him. Because if you don't see some evidence of this in your life, you ought to be worried. You ought to be concerned. And my prayer for you is that God would convict your heart and that you would fall on your face before Him and you would say, God, I need you to give me a heart for you. God, I need a heart to turn away from my sin. I need a heart to trust in You as my Lord and Savior. And you are to be crying out to God until He gives it to you. Because that's what it means to be born again. Jesus said, being born again is being born from above. In other words, something has to happen. Something has to come from above into your life, into your heart that literally turns you from darkness to the light of Christ. And if you don't see that, then you ought to be pleading with God and saying, God, give me your Holy Spirit. God, give me a heart to follow you. Give me a heart to turn from my sin and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and give me the evidence in my life that I see it. That should be your heart, and that's what these people had when they came together. And then the next thing we see that they learned is that they, um, verse 3, it says that there was a time that they started service, 
But they didn't care about the time when the service ended. So the next thing we see in chapter 8 is that time was not important to the people of God. As long as they're hearing the Word of God, as long as they're learning from God, as long as they're seeing things from God to worship Him for, as long as they, as long as they have a purpose for being here, time was not important. They did not look at Ezra. Ezra started at the break of day and he did not stop until after lunch. This is at least a six hour long service. And not a single one do we read of looked at Ezra and went... Not a single one of them looked at Ezra and went... Nobody. No, they had a heart to hear from the Word of God. And this is a healthy way to be. And then what you're going to learn in chapter 9, you think that was bad? Six hour service? Go to chapter 9 with me for just a minute. And look with me at verse um, 3. Chapter 9, verse 3. And they stood in their place. So what are they doing? Standing. Y'all got padded pews. You think they had air conditioner? You think they had heaters? Hey, buddy. Sorry, I got to respond. When somebody says Uncle Kevin, I got to... So. They didn't have these comforts and yet they stand. And notice how long they stand. In verse 3 it says, They stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for how long? You know how many quarters there are in a day? So you do the math. How long did they stand and listen to the Word of God? Alright. But do you think that's where it stopped? Do you think, okay, six hours is enough. The service has ended. No, keep reading with me. For another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. How long did this worship service last? Y'all pretty good at math. None of y'all went to Minor Hill, did you? <coughs> so, sorry, Cherie. <coughs> so the thing is here is that they did not care about time. Time was not an issue. What was the issue? The issue was hearing God's Word. The issue is, God, we have not been obedient to You. We have sinned against You and we need to hear from You. And that was the heart. And my question is, man, we've turned church today into, if, if everything ain't comfortable, if you've got to drive more than 15, 20 minutes, if, you, if you've got to sit more than an hour, if you've got to stand for very long, if you've got to, if, if you've got to do this and do this, if, you don't, if the electricity goes out or if, the, if we don't have air conditioner or if we don't have heater that morning, you see what I'm saying? What's the problem? Something, something's missing, ain't it? And so what I'm seeing here is that a healthy response to the Word of God is that they have a desire to hear it. It's in their heart. They want it. And then the next thing we learned in chapter 8 of last week, we also saw that um, there was a reverence for the Word of God. In uh, chapter 8, let's go down with it to verse, um, verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this very purpose. They, they lifted the Word of God up. Not Ezra up. The only reason they lifted Ezra up because he had the Word of God. 
They lifted the Word of God up. And it says here next that, And beside him stood these men, and then notice in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, what happened? All the people stood. All the people stood. And so there was... There was a group of people here that understood when this word is read, it's not just an old-fashioned book. It's not just a book filled with stories that we're going to be entertained by. This is the living and the active Word of God. And when it is read, when it is spoken in truth, God is active and God is present in it. That's why we stand when we read the Word of God. I know sometimes we get confused. Are we standing up? Are we sitting down? What are we doing here? But still, the fact of the matter is this. When we read God's Word, it is worthy of some type of respect. And one of the ways we do that, we stand and we give reverence for it. Another way we do that, we listen to it. And we're attentive as it is read, as it is taught. And so these are some ways that they responded to the Word of God that we need to be able to see that these kind of responses should be in us. And if they're not, then what do we do? Well, if we confess our sin, God is faithful. And God is just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of that unrighteousness. And all we do is repent from that and we start giving it the reverence that it's due. We start understanding what it has been given to us for and the purpose that it serves in our lives. And we start having a desire that says, God, I want to follow you. And in order to follow you, I need your word. And so this was what we see in it. Today we're going to see that God's Word should always receive a response. Look down with me at verse, um, verse 6 of chapter 8. In verse 6 of chapter 8, look what it says. And Ezra blessed the Lord. And Ezra blessed the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. In other words, when God's Word was spoken and the people knew, and you're going to see here in chapter 9 here in a few minutes that one of the things that Ezra was doing was just reading the Word. He wasn't up here preaching no fancy sermon. The only thing he did was he's going to start in Genesis and he's going to tell them about God creating everything and giving life to everything that has life. He's going to talk about the way the universe worships God and the way the angels worship God. He's going to talk about the way that God chose them and the way that God redeemed them by His grace and the way God saved them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And He's going to talk about the great things that God has done for them and how He split the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. All Ezra is doing, as you're going to see this in chapter 9, he's just reading the Word of God. And as he does it and he talks about God, the Creator, and how God gave us life and God blessed us with everything we have on this earth, the people stop and they say, Amen. Amen. God, You are so good. You have been so good to me. I recognize what you have done in my life. What you, I recognize who you are. When, you, when we read the Word of God, God is revealed to us. And when God reveals Himself to us, it should always lead to a response from you. And that response may be something as simple as, Amen. And Amen is simply a, a Hebrew word, actually. And it was a word that meant, That is absolute truth. 
In other words, you remember when Jesus would look at people and He would say, Truly, truly, I say to you. And He would say it twice. What He was doing there was actually saying the Hebrew word, Amen, Amen. We convert it or translate it today as truly, truly. In other words, this is absolute truth. Now the difference between us and Jesus, Jesus said His Amen on the front side of things. Before He ever spoke a word, Jesus said, Amen, Amen, now let me tell you what this absolute truth is. We, on the other hand, hear absolute truth, and on the back side of it, we listen to it, and then we say, Amen, Amen. That is absolute truth. Jesus is the only one that can say the Amen on the front side of things. We say it on the back side, but it is still a response to the Word of God. Next thing we see is that they lifted up their hands. They, and this is a way that we express our worship. See, here's the thing about it. I know we hear this all the time, that, God, that, that we say, well, God's really only concerned about the heart. And yes, God is concerned about the heart, but make no mistake about it. God also expects expressions of your worship to Him. Sometimes it's as simple as outwardly saying an amen. Sometimes it is lifting hands. And the Bible tells us in many different places that people lifted their hands as an expression of lifting praise to God or as an expression of reaching out to God or as an expression of just worship to God. There are, the Bible tells us in Timothy we are to raise holy hands in our praying to lift up holy hands in our praying. And so I'm not saying that that has to be a response, but what I am saying is that God expects an expression. When you go and read places in the Psalms, like look at Psalm 47 verse 1. Look at what it says. Clap your hands, all you peoples. In other words, that is an outward expression of, of joy, or it may be an outward expression of just giving God praise. Or, or he says here, clap your hands all you people and do what else? Shout to God with what? Loud songs of joy. So in other words, there is an expression that should come from us. There, when we hear the Word of God, when we see something that we uh, hear a truth about God that should lead us to praise God, the whole point is that the Word of God always demands a response. Let me tell you something. If, God, if the God of all creation reveals to you a creature from the dirt, something about Himself, shouldn't that demand a response? And so when we hear the Word of God, it should always demand some kind of response. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 is the other one that I told you about. It tells us that we want men to, to pray. And as they pray, what should they do? Lift holy hands. And so again, we have places in the Bible. The, uh, the Bible says that the mountains melt before Him in His presence. I mean, there is always an outward expression that is demanded from some type of response. It may be, we're going to see here in a minute, that part of their response was they fell on their face before God. Part of their response was they stood in giving reverence. Part of their response was that they confessed their sin. 
Remember, they, they heard the word for a quarter of the day and for another quarter they didn't do nothing but just confess their sins. Lord, this is what I've done to sin against you. And then as they did this, they poured their heart out to Him in worship as they trusted Him and they believed in Him to be faithful and to forgive them and cleanse them of all of their unrighteousness. And then they go from tears to excitement and to thankfulness and joy. And so no matter how you respond in the Word of God, there should always be a response. I want to show you a couple more scriptures. Look with me in chapter 9. In chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1 through 3 so that you can see their responses. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. Again, here's a response to the Word of God. This is the reason why God gave them the gift of fasting. It was a way for them to express their humble and contrite heart. Because God said the only heart He responds to is a humble heart and a contrite heart, right? Contrite means literally expressing brokenness. And so fasting was a gift. Sitting in sackcloth was a way to demonstrate to God and to anyone else that saw that I have a heart of mourning, that I have a heart of confessing, that I have a heart of seeking God with everything in me. And so that was the heart of fasting. And so they expressed this and they responded to the Word of God by doing this. And not only that, they took earth and they put it on their heads. They literally took dirt from the, from the ground and they put it on their heads as a way to express, that's all I am. I am dirty, I am filthy, I am sinful man. And God, unless you save me, I have no hope. And that is the kind of response that these people receive from the Word of God. And then in verse 2, look what it says. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners. Here we see repentance. Because most of their particular sin was they had intermarried with people that served other gods. Which God had told them, don't do this. They're going to lead you away from me. And they did it anyway. So now they repent. And they stood and they confessed their sins and even the iniquities of their fathers. And then notice in verse 3. And they stood up in their place. So they go from being seated and they go to being putting dirt on their head and mourning and fasting with their faces to the ground. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law for a... For, of their God for a quarter of the day and for another quarter of it they made confession and worship their God and so we see here that it always demands a response y'all see where I'm getting that from all I'm doing is taking what is in the scriptures and drawing it out for you and now I'm giving it to you and I'm telling you every time you hear the Word of God you are to be hearing it with the desire in your heart to hear from the Lord and you are to be hearing it in a way that leads you to respond in some way. If you come in here every Sunday and Wednesday or whatever other time you gather to the Word of God, if you keep doing that and all you do is just leave out of here and nothing ever changes, it doesn't lead to worship in your life, it doesn't lead to praise, it doesn't lead to confession, it doesn't lead to repentance. If none of those things take place, you're missing the point. And so I'm telling you from the Word of God today 
that when you hear it, it always demands a response from you and even from the preacher. There should be a response that you have. And that response could come in a number of different ways. But there is always a response. Next, I want you to see what they were responding to. Go with me to uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. And we're going to start reading in verse um, 5. 5 through 37. Look at what he says. Nehemiah 9, verse 5. Then the Levites, and he names off some names there. He said, stand up. That's a response, right? And bless the Lord your God. And then here he gives the first description of God. Because that's the very first verse of Genesis. In the beginning was God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And my mind can't get wrapped around that because the only thing I have ever known is beginning and end. Right? But God is the creator of all beginning and end. He exists from everlasting to everlasting. That ought to be the first thing that we hear and go, Who are you? I can't even fathom what kind of being you are to just exist. You just are. Moses said, what am I going to tell them your name is? Tell them I am. Tell them I exist. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am before all things. And I will be after all things. I am from everlasting to everlasting. And the people, likely when they heard this, what do you think they said? Amen. Amen. Keep going with me. He says, Stand up and bless the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And here he says, Blessed be your glorious name, O God, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. In other words, we can't give you enough blessing and praise. You know why you, you have eternity in hell if you don't have Jesus? Because it's going to take you an eternity to ever pay for what you owe for your offense against God. You will never be able to pay enough. That's the reason why Jesus was the only one who could do it. You will never be able to pay enough to get you free from your sin debt. Now on that same reason, do you know why you are going to have eternity in heaven if you have Jesus? It's because it will take you an eternity and you will never be able to praise God enough. You remember what the old song said? When we've been there how many years? 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And that's exactly what you need to finish praising Him because it will never be enough. And then in verse 6, look what he says. You are Lord God. In other words, Yahweh. You are the great I Am. You are the beginning. You are the end. You are the self-existing one. You alone 
I hear, I hear my, I got a lot of uh, black friends that when I go to their churches, I hear somebody shout out, He God all by Himself. <laughs> all by Himself He's God. And that's what Ezra is saying right here. God, You are the great I Am all by Yourself. You don't need nobody. You say, well, well God did this because He needed this or this. We like to say that a lot of times. We say, well, God must have took this one because He needed another angel. Can I tell you something? God don't need anything. No, you just better be thankful for His grace and mercy that He let you share in just a little bit of who He is. God don't need you. God don't need me. God, you know what, you know what Jesus told him? He said, God can raise up stones as His children. He don't need Father Abraham who had many sons, but by the grace of God, God chose Father Abraham. And so we praise Him for it. But make no mistake about it, God is the self-existing one all by Himself. He don't need you. He don't need your praise. He wants it. He wants to demonstrate to you who He is so that we come back to Him in praise. That's why you were created. But don't think for one second that God needs you. God does not need you. You need God. Alright? Now keep reading with me in verse 6. You have made heaven and the heavens. And this is Ezra just starting at Genesis, right? He's just starting in Genesis and all Ezra's going to do is read through the books. That's the reason why it takes how many other days they've been doing this. Six hours a day to read it. Six hours a day to confess and worship. It's taking a lot because during this time, man, they're just reading the Word of God and looking at what it says and, it, and responding to it. And he says, you are the one who made the heaven and the heaven of heavens. When we look at the universe, you're the one who created it. And that's exactly what Genesis chapter 1 teaches us. And he says, and you made all their host in it, the stars, the moon, the sun, the planets, everything there is, you are the one who is responsible for it. You made the earth and all that is in it. You made the seas and all that is in them. In other words, God, we worship you and we bless your name because you're the creator of it all. And we would not even be here if it weren't for you. Amen. We owe our life to you. That's an important thing for us to learn from the Word of God. He keeps going. I'll go a little bit quicker. Verse, and he says, and not only that, you preserve all of them. You know the only reason you took your last breath is because God gave it? You do understand that at any moment that God decides that you will no longer breathe, you will no longer breathe. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so he says here, you're the one that preserves it all. And you are, and the host of heaven worships you. The host of heaven would be all the spiritual beings that are there, the moon, the stars, they all declare the glory of God. Everything that are in heaven and in earth, it was made to worship you. And that ought to be something we look at and go, wow, the sun. Imagine how powerful the sun is, and yet it worships this God. Can't fathom it. Verse 7 says, And you are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham. So now he goes on to Genesis chapter 12. You are the one who chose Abraham, and you brought him out of his darkness, the earth of the Chaldeans, and you gave him the name Abraham, the father 
of many nations. In other words, you chose this man and you blessed us from him. Verse 8, you found his heart faithful before you. He, he trusted you, he believed you, and that's what the New Testament teaches us. Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him as righteousness. And they hear this now and they praise God for it. Keep going. And then in verse 8, You found his heart faithful before you. You made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite. In other words, you chose us, people that didn't deserve it. You gave us a covenant. You gave us an inheritance. You, you gave us a promised land. All of these things you have done. And did we deserve any of it? Don't hear this statement that said Abraham was faithful before you and you think that's why God chose Abraham is because he saw that Abraham was faithful. No, Abraham was in Ur worshiping other gods. The Bible says Abraham believed God and that was accounted to him for righteousness. God gave Abraham his word and Abraham believed it. And Abraham followed God. And because of that, we know that Abraham was a born-again, saved man because he heard the Word and he believed the Word and he followed the Word. And then in verse 9, and not only that, look at the end of verse 8. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. <laughs> in other words, we praise God. Why? Because He keeps His Word. I told the children I met with this morning, and I think I even told Paul I, I, I met with them, and I said, do you believe God can lie? Well, you heard me say it in the, in the baptistry back there. You believe God can lie? Oh, no. No, God cannot lie. And I said, do you believe God will do what He said He'll do? Yes, always. He will always do what He says He will do. That's faith, my friends. That's faith. I don't care how young you are. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And you can't believe the Word of God if you don't hear the Word of God. You can't bless God if you don't let Him reveal Himself to you in the Scriptures. You can't worship Him. You can't praise Him unless you're reading because the only way that God reveals Himself to us in specific details is in His Word. Now yes, there's a general revelation. The uh, Theologians talk about two different types of revelation that God gives us. He gives us uh, general revelation and He gives us specific revelation. General revelation is that everybody ought to be able to look at this earth and to look at life and to look at everything around and everybody on this world has no excuse to not know there is a Creator. But the only way we get specific revelation about God, about who He is, what He's like, what He has done, how He loves us, the only way we get that specific revelation is through His Word. And you can, people can praise God for looking at creation and general revelation, but God desires specific revelation. And God desires to, for you to know who you are, and for you to know who He is, and for you to know what He has done for you, and for you to trust Him and believe Him and follow Him and praise Him. And the only way you do that is when you hear the Word of God. See, people think they come in here and they, they listen to a song. And don't get me wrong, if they're hearing the truth of Scripture in that song, 
and they're saying their amen, amen, and they're praising God because of what the song is saying and because of what the truth is revealed, then that's great. But too many people, I've had this question asked to me before many times, but I went to a, um, I'm not against mega churches, I'm not. But I went to this mega church one time, and this man was sitting beside of me. And I mean, they had been playing some good songs and the, the, the instrument's good and it was jamming and it was going on and that man stopped and he turned to me because he knew I was a pastor and he said, why ain't the Holy Spirit in other churches like they are in big churches? You know what he was missing? He was missing the truths being revealed in the Word of God. I don't care what kind of musicians you have. I don't care if you don't have musicians. I don't care if the music makes you want to jam. I can't dance. i got two left feet. But I don't care if the music makes you want to dance. I don't care if it makes you want to raise your hands. If it ain't the truth of God's Word being revealed to you to a way that you say you're amen. Amen. To the way that you bless God and you praise God because of who He is and what He has done. You're missing it. And I'm just being honest with you. What you're getting and what you're seeking is simply what makes you feel good. And that is what much of Christianity in our Western world is about today. That's what it's about. And so I'm praying that you understand that the Word of God and the truth revealed, the specific revelation, is the only thing that can produce True praise and worship. And that's what they're getting as they read the Word. Now keep going with me. In verse um, 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. So now he moves on to Exodus. He says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. And you heard their cry at the Red Sea. When you were bringing them out, they stood at the Red Sea and they said, we're going to be slaughtered. We're going to be killed. And God heard their cry. And then notice what he says next. He says, you heard their cry at the Red Sea and you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. Now they look at his mighty hand and his outstretched arm to save them and deliver them. And he says here, you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and against his servants and all the people of his land for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself. That's another thing. You are not the center of God's universe. You are a recipient of God's richness of grace and mercy. That's it. See, we, everything today is all about me, me, me. Me. God's all about me. God is not all about you. God does what He does because He's making a name for Himself. God does what He does because He demonstrates His glory and His grace and His mercy so that people like you will praise Him. Ephesians, Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 3, I believe it is, that one day you're going to stand in heaven and all the hosts of heaven are going to look at you and they're going to say, look at the mercy and the grace of God that somebody like you even made it here today. God did not save you for you. 
No, God does love you. And He demonstrated His love for you. But God saved you for His praise, for His glory. God saved you to demonstrate His goodness. Remember, God don't need you. God don't need you. And so, this is another reason why I tend to frown a little bit on some, some modern Christian music today. Not all of it. I listen to a lot of it. But some of it I frown on. You know why? Because it's all about me. It's all about, you know, God is, God is just, he, he, he ought to be just so thankful that He saved me. I'm just, because I, 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 I praise Him and because, and it's a self-centered gospel. The fact of the matter is, all your praise and worship ought to be God-glory focused and that alone. God, your mercy and your grace is so amazing. And that's what they're doing right here. They're looking at all the signs and the wonders and the greatness of God. And He did it all to make a name for Himself as it is to this day when we read it. Verse 11, And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. Again, they're just talking about the greatness of God in this. And then it goes on and on. Let's read it a little bit quicker. He says, And they went across on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths. In other words, the enemies tried to track them down, and what did God do? He flooded them. And then he says in verse 13, And you came down on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven, and you gave them right rules and true laws and good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. In other words, you didn't just leave them there. You showed them what you required. You showed them how to follow you. You led them. You guided them every step of the way. He didn't just leave you to yourself. He didn't save you and then say, all right, figure it out. No. He led you every step of the way. And then he says in verse 15, And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and you told them to go in to possess. Now again, here's the point. I'm going to stop here because you can go home and read the rest of this yourself. My point is that all Ezra did is just read the book. He read the book. And then after he got done reading, he went back for the next six hours and said, y'all stand up and let's praise God from everlasting to everlasting. The creator of all things like we read in Genesis. The one who gives life to everything that has life. The one who gives us our next breath. The one who provides for us every step of the way. The one who preserves our life day after day. The one who, who chose us and He called us out of our sin of Ur or wherever it was we were. And the one that gave us His Word to believe by faith. And, and, and the one that saved us and brought us out of our darkness and leads us in righteousness and I could go on and on. The great and mighty God that saved us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And you know what? That deserves a response. And the people stand up and they bless the Lord and they worship and they praise and they ain't looking at their watches going, oh, this is going to be a long one today. You better believe it is. I ain't even got started yet. Ain't nobody doing that. No one. Because they're hearing about the one and only God who is God all by Himself. 
And that, my friends, is a right response to the Word of God. Any other response, it won't do. It won't do. The last thing, I'm going to close with this. Those who are gifted to understand help others to also understand. Look at chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. Chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. And also Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hodai, Masai, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad. He's a bad dude, ain't he? Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, they helped the people to understand the law. So you got the preacher up here and he's reading the Word. And then you've got people that were just gifted to understand the Word. They hear it and they understand it. But not everybody has that same gift. And so there are teachers and there are people that God gifts and God uses to be able to help the people have the understanding. And notice what it says here. They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places and they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly... That's important. I tell Daniel all the time, Daniel, you know, he's, he's got a little stage fright still when he gets up here and he does this job and, and, and I won't let him quit because I'm going to make him work through that. And then even reading, sometimes I see him, he gets so nervous that he misses words or he says this or he skips this and, and, and he'll call me back and he'll say, boy, I messed that up, didn't I? I said, yeah, and you're going to do it again next week. And you're going to do it again next week. And so they read from the book of the law clearly. But here's what I tell Daniel when he reads every week. I say, brother, slow down. The most important thing is that you read it clearly. The most important thing is that the people hear what the Word of God says in the way that it is written, in the way it's supposed to be read. And when the people hear it clearly and the teachers understand it, look what happens next. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So again, those that are gifted to understand, and not everybody is, they have a responsibility to help others understand. You say, preacher, why do we do Sunday school? Ta-da! <laughs> preacher, why do we do small groups? Ta-da! This is why we do these other things because yes, I can stand before you as one person and I can do my best to help give you the sense as I just simply read the Word. But then there are people that God has placed in the congregation that He's gifted. Let me show you a few scriptures to see what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 6. Um, I didn't give this to, to Nathan. Nathan, I'm sorry, buddy. So y'all don't blame him for it. But Romans chapter... Um, Actually, Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 7. Look at what this says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us, let us use them. You see that? So we have gifts that differ according to the grace that Jesus decided, or the Holy Spirit decided to give them to us. Alright? And we have a responsibility to use those gifts. If that gift is prophecy, 
like I've always told you, speaking the inspired Word of God when I stand before you and I say, Thus says the Lord. That's what a prophet did. Sometimes prophecy in the old days did include future telling because God told them things that were going to happen in the future. But prophecy is simply coming to the people and saying, Thus says the Lord. That's prophecy. If your gift is prophecy, then use that gift in proportion to your faith. In other words, everybody don't prophesy like I do. And that's okay. You prophesy with the proportion that God has gave you. But if it is service, then use that gift in serving others. And here's the one I'm trying to get to. The one who teaches. In other words, there are specific gifts of teaching. And some people have them, but not all do. And it's okay if you don't. Matter of fact, the Bible warns us, let not many of you become teachers, because we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so we have to be careful that we evaluate ourselves and understand. Either I have the gift to teach and to give people the sense and understanding, or I don't. And it's okay, because I have other gifts. And so if you have the gift of teaching, then use it in your teaching. And so there are people that are gifted with this. Another thing is that understanding is so vital for it. You remember the parable of the sower? I promise I'm coming very close to an end. But you don't care about that, do you? That's what I thought. Y'all learning, all right. So, in the parable of the sower, you remember there are four types of soil, right? But only one type was good ground. So there's a sower, he goes out and he's sowing seed, some of it fell on good ground and produced a crop. Alright? Some of it fell on um, a, a stony ground, uh, on a hard, let me say this, on a hard packed path. And that path was so hard that it couldn't get down into the soil and the birds came and they ate the seeds and they snatched the, the seed away, right? And then some of it fell on stony ground and it wasn't able to get a good root system and so it wasn't able to grow up and produce anything. And then some of it threw, fell among the thorns. And, and the thorns grew up and it tried to grow, but the thorns just choked it out. There was so much trouble and there was so much um, concern for the world and the things of the world that it just it choked the seed out and it couldn't, couldn't produce. Jesus come back and He explained, here's what that parable means. The seed is the Word of God. The sower is the one that is just spreading the Word of God. And he said, here's the difference, and you can find this in Matthew chapter 13. The difference between the seed that fell on good ground and produced fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, it wasn't the same, but it produced good fruit. The difference in that and every other ground that did not produce, the difference was the ones that fell on good ground heard the Word of God and they understood it. Nathan, if you can, find Matthew chapter 13, just that one verse. Um, hang on, I'll tell you what it is. Matthew 13, look at verse 23, just so they know what I'm talking about. Matthew 13, 23, look at this. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and what? You have to get understanding. God is not going to leave you without understanding. And if you are left without it, there are teachers and there are people that can help you give the understanding. 
And he says, the one who understands it, he indeed does what? He bears fruit. And he yields. In one case, a hundred. In one, another, another, sixty, another thirty, or ninety, whatever it is. Now, um, Nathan, find me Matthew 13, verse 19. Just so you know that I'm telling you the truth. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and what? Does not understand it, what happens? He comes and he snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Do you see the difference? So what is the key? What is the key to producing fruit? To making sure when the Word of God lands on your soul, what is the key to making sure it produces fruit? Hearing and understanding. The two things have to go hand in hand. And so God has blessed the church with those two things. Here I am, sowing the Word. I'm sowing it right now. And it demands a response. But you have to hear it. And you have to let it fall on good soil, which means you understand it. And then you go out and you follow it. And you respond to it. Sometimes with bowing your head in an altar. Sometimes with hands lifted up in praise. Sometimes like the man, like the tax collector standing in front of the temple, it wouldn't even lift his head up to God, but just beat his chest. God, forgive me, a sinner. I don't care what your response is, but God's Word always demands a response. If you aren't responding to the Word of God in these ways, if first off you don't have a desire in your heart to hear the Word if you can find every excuse in the world to, to not come to church, I'm not telling you this because I want to pack these pews. Y'all know that. I tell them all the time. I tell people all the time. They get excited about the numbers in our crowd, and I tell them, I say, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in that. You may have 250 this week. You know what you could have next week? That's exactly right. And you know what I'm going to do if 10 show up? I'm going to preach the same way. Nothing's going to change. And so it is very important that you understand that there ought to be a desire in you to hear the Word of God. I, not, not so that I can feel good about packing the pews. No, because you have a calling in your life to come out of darkness and follow Jesus. And if your calling and your election is sure, there ought to be something in you that says, God, I want to hear from you. And I want to follow you. And if that's not there, you ought to be on your knees today praying and pleading with God. God, save my soul. Save my soul because I don't see the evidence that I've ever been born again to begin with. There ought to be a desire in you and that's one right response. There ought to be a, a, a heart in you that says, I don't care what time it is. I'll go without food for six hours. I don't care what it is. God's Word is more important to me than gold. Than fine gold is what the psalmist said. You remember that from last week? It is sweeter to me than the drippings of honey from the honeycomb. God's Word is what I want. It's what I need. And then, there ought to be a response from you when you hear it. It may be raising your hands in praise. It may be 
fasting and humbling yourself and dirt on your head. It may be, um, it may be bowing in an altar and praying and asking forgiveness or, or, or praying for whatever it is that the Word of God has spoke to you. It may simply saying, Amen, God, you, this is absolutely true. This is who you are. This is who I am. I praise you for just even thinking of somebody like me. That's what David said. David said, God, who am I? What is man that you would even think about him? David couldn't understand it, and I can't either. How do I respond to that? God, thank you that even though I, I don't know why in the world you would look on somebody like me, I heard somebody say not too long ago, they said, you can call me whatever name you want to call me. Ain't none of you call, I, they said, I think, what did they say? They said, I've been called worse in hymn books or something. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. You call me whatever you want to call me. I know who I am. I know who I am. And you know what? Whatever you call me is probably true. Whatever you call me is probably right. And the only thing I can say to that is, God, forgive me, and God, thank you. Thank you for saving a wretch like me. But there ought to be a response from you to the Word of God in some way. And then, if you are one that you understand the Word when you hear it, that you are one that you're able to, to help teach others, then you have a responsibility to do that. But remember this, we will receive a stricter judgment. And so make sure that you are one that's able to do that. Because when you're a teacher, when you fall, you never fall alone. Whatever you speak, it won't just affect you. It will affect everybody around you and everybody under the sound of your voice. And let me tell you something, when you stand to give an account, you're not only going to give account for yourself, but you're going to give account for everybody else. So let me tell you something. I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly. And I pray that you'll do the same.